Today's scripture reading will be found in the book of Luke, chapter 7, verses 41 through 49. Luke, chapter 7, verses 41 through 49. It says, A moneylender had two debtors. One owned 500 denarii and the other 50. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, You have judged correctly. Turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has gave me, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. Then he said to her, Your sins have been forgiven. Those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, Who is this man that even sorry? Who is this man who even forgives sins? Thank you, Tori. Good to see everybody today. It's a great day for being able to praise God and uh, be able to worship Him. Uh, let me just emphasize again, if you're new or uh, have not had your picture taken, or when you go out and look on that tree out in the foyer and your picture is not there, or if your picture looks ugly, okay, uh, have a new picture taken next week. So just keep that in mind. It may not be what you wanted to look like. Um, I notice sometimes people decide, you know what, I want to still be young. And so they leave that picture up there forever. And no one recognizes them anymore. You're not fooling anyone. <laughs> so hopefully we'll be able to learn each other's names and faces a whole lot better as we uh, get some of those things taken care of. We've been talking about some progression that happens in Christianity and the way in which that works. And so last time we talked about repentance and that going all the way to redemption. And redemption is about the forgiveness of sin. And that's really what it's about. And the next step from that would be that the purpose for sins being forgiven is to make us forgiving people. And so I want to talk a little bit about that with you today. It's not just a matter of saying, okay, I wanted my sins to be forgiven. That's all that matters, and I don't care about the rest of you. That's not the way it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be that, you know, we have this relationship with Christ. He has forgiven us of our sins, and we follow him, and we become like him. And so as he is the one forgiving, we also become people who forgive. And so we are ones who are able to do that. The story today 
is talking about uh, a time when Jesus went to the house of a Pharisee named Simon. He had been invited to dinner. It's a great time being able to go there. It's a great honor. After all, Jesus isn't rich, doesn't have a lot of things. Simon apparently is. Nice big house he goes. There are at least three occasions where he goes to eat with a Pharisee. Simon is one of those. Jesus comes and, uh, okay, he made dinner for him. Well, probably didn't make dinner for him. He, I imagine, has servants. It doesn't really stay this in the text. It doesn't, it's not like the barbecue next time, okay? But uh, he at least knows that he's coming. And then someone comes who was not invited, and that's the woman of the city. She's a sinner. Everybody knows she's a sinner. What does that look like? If if you were standing here, could you pick out the people who are sinners? It, it would probably be pretty easy, right? You just start right here and move around the room. Because all of us are sinners. But what does it mean that everyone knows that she's a sinner? Well, if everyone knows that she's a sinner, they probably know exactly what sin she's done. And some people are better at it than others, and so they know about her. She is responding to Jesus. And so she comes and she brings an alabaster flask, and she begins to wet his feet with her tears and dry his feet with her hair. She kisses his feet, and then she anoints them with the perfume. Well, this has got to be distracting when you're trying to eat dinner. Uh, she's behind him. They reclined at table. And so she's kind of away from the table where they are. But still, you can tell this is going on. And especially when you open the perfume, well, then the perfume is everywhere. And it smells really great. It's a very expensive perfume. And Simon's reaction to her is... Uh, I don't know how she gets in anyway. It's not like our house. If somebody walked into your house and sat down under your table, wouldn't you notice and say, what are you doing here? We would be shocked. Uh, I don't understand all of that, but apparently maybe Simon knows her better than he should know her. Uh, I'm not sure what all's going on in the situation, but... Uh, at least this just happens, and he lets it happen, and he seems oblivious to a lot of things. And so he just allows all of this to happen. And and Jesus is there, and he's thinking about Jesus. You know, I thought I invited a prophet. But if this guy was really a prophet, he'd know that that person is a sinner compared to all the rest of us, right? She is a sinner where everybody knows about what sin she did. You know, our advantage is we're anonymous. Everybody knows we're a sinner, just nobody knows which ones, right? So what you have happening is he says, if we knew which ones, we wouldn't let her touch us. We would say, oh, get away from me. Have you ever been there where... People recoiled and didn't want you to touch them, didn't want to be around you. 
That seems to be getting more and more now, but it's just because we're afraid of things. I can think of a couple times where I was out working on the car and came in with greasy hands and it's, you know, you can scare, oh, don't touch me. (laughs) Well, of course not. But the problem there was the dirt on my hands. She doesn't have dirt on her hands. The problem here is he sees she's not worthy. I don't know if you've ever been. What a horrible place to be where you're the one that they don't want to be around. Oh, don't touch me. That's one of the worst kind of rejections you can have. And so the story that was read to us by Tory talks about this money lender. He has two debtors. One's 50. He, he may have more debtors, but for the story, he has two. One's 50, one's 500. Huge amount of difference in those. But the question isn't so much about that. The question is about which one will love him more. So is it a math question? Well, it's not really a math question, but he kind of turns it into a math question. Well, if we've got to judge, you know, what's what he's really trying to talk about, then I guess the one that he forgave more. And so that would be the answer. And Jesus says, you are correct. But what he's really talking about is you have been forgiven much. And that's not a math question. That's where we feel something inside of us. So forgiveness and love are tied together as he begins to explain all of this. Do you see what she's done? You can't claim love and never forgive someone. What if a husband never forgave his wife for what she did? Or a wife never forgave her husband? Or that children found discipline in the home but never found any forgiveness in the home? Those would be terrible places to live. Because the closer we get together, the more we realize we need forgiveness. And the more we realize all the mistakes that we make, and the more we see all the things that goes on, and the more we need that kind of forgiveness. Just just to be able to live and just to be able to cope together. And so Jesus asked him a question. Do you see this woman? I don't think he did. I mean, she had come in and been doing her thing and interacting with Jesus, apparently. But I don't think he ever really noticed her, saw her. It never really made an impression other than, ew, what is she doing here? Why is she allowed to even touch him? And so the story goes as he tells Simon, let's compare what she has done, and what you did. You didn't wash my feet, and she has done the tears and the hair. You didn't anoint my head. She's anointed my feet. She brought the most expensive perfume. You didn't have any. And I got no kiss on the cheek as far as greeting from you, but she has been kissing my feet. Everything she has done has been personal. Everything she has done is almost humiliating, isn't it? 
When's the last time you walked up and kissed somebody's feet? Uh, I mean, we just don't do that. That doesn't happen that often. And that seems to be a very personal thing. So she is giving to him what's personal to her. And so what's the difference in the two? Well, Simon basically does not respond to Jesus. The woman responds to Jesus in a very personal way. And so when's the last time a woman acted like this with you? Came in and washed your feet with her hair and with her tears and her hair and, you know, put lotion on your feet. It's only every other night at our house. (laughs) Well, no. (laughs) This never happens to us, does it? This is pretty extreme. Why doesn't this ever happen to us? Isn't that the point of the story? No, the point of the story is why she's doing it. She feels forgiven. She feels the great sin that she has and all of these things that everybody knows about. And she feels like Jesus is going to forgive her. And so she comes acting as if she loves Jesus. Because love and forgiveness are like this. They are tied together. And she understands that. And so she comes and says, I don't know that she even says anything. But she is there showing her love, appreciation to him in an extreme way. This is incredible. This is a huge amount of money that it would have taken to buy this perfume. This is personally insulting. And yet... She's doing this for Jesus. She takes care and she's down at his feet. It it should have been done at his head. It's the kiss on the cheek. It's the anointing of the head. And she's like, I'm not even worthy for that. But I believe Jesus will do this. You see a difference in personalities here, don't you? I mean, Simon just doesn't respond. Isn't he a sinner as well? Yeah, he is, whether he knows that or not. But he doesn't seem to respond like this to Jesus. You see other people, like the woman with the flow of blood. And she comes and she's not doing this to Jesus either. She's like, well, let me just sneak in the back. And if I just barely touch the back of his robe, then I'll be healed. She doesn't have this huge, intense feeling that he's going to forgive her. Which, by the way, he has not done yet. She believes. She has confidence in God. She believes he is going to do this because of all the things that he has said, because of the way in which Jesus has taught, because of all the reactions she's seen to all the other people. She believes and she loves him before anything ever happens. What an incredible thing. Have you ever felt like that with God? That He loves you? Well, just in case you didn't, He sent me this message. Straight from Him. Straight to you. What does that do? 
If somebody just looks you in the eye and says, I forgive you, it's gone. It doesn't mean anything anymore. There is nothing that's there. Would it let you act in love? Would it let you act in an extreme way? And again, I think we're given different personalities here. She's one that will go out into the middle. She's one that doesn't mind being in front of everybody else. Everybody knows about her already anyway. And some of us are much more secretive than that. But what does that really mean? How would this come out today? I'm glad none of you have rushed up to take my shoes off and check and see if my feet are clean or not. But how would we do this today? I think we would do it like we've already been doing. We would be singing praise to God. We would be praying to Him and we would be telling Him how much we love Him and how much we care and thanking Him for how much this forgiveness means to us. Because we would recognize this has already happened for us. For, for her, she's at the beginning of all of this. But it seems like the way Jesus is using this, He says, because you've done this, you are forgiven. And what an incredible thing that is. Especially as He looks at Simon. Does He tell Simon He's not forgiven? No. He doesn't tell Simon anything. What's the implication? The implication is, Simon, she's forgiven. (laughs) Seems kind of pointed, doesn't it? But he does not feel the need to go around condemning everybody who isn't forgiven. But he does pronounce grace upon those who are. Because of her extreme love. I think we need to be more like her. I think we need to be able to express the forgiveness that we feel. And a lot of times that forgiveness is expressed in us forgiving other people. You see this happening with God, the same story a couple of different times. And I've got a lot of scriptures, so we're just going to talk about the way in which all of these things relate to each other. So stick with me for a few minutes here. In Ephesians chapter 2, You have the same story. Except for it's us. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in passions of our flesh, carrying out the desire of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Yeah, everybody knows you're a sinner. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. By grace you have been saved. What an incredible passage. He goes on to talk about how this grace works and about how this all happens because he's saying you were at this stage. You were the terrible, awful person. But Christ is the one who came. Christ is the one who gave. Christ is the one who made the sacrifice. And now we are able to have that forgiveness. 
We were following the course of the world. We were following the prince of the power of the air. We were following the spirit of disobedience. We were following our own passions and desires. And he says, now I want you to follow Jesus. And how do we do that? Well, we're no longer angry people. We're no longer children of wrath because we become like God. He is rich in mercy. How do we respond? Is it like Simon? Oh, thanks. And then we can go do whatever we want. Sometimes it seems like that. What would this reaction be to someone who has done this for us? Would you sing? Would you praise God? Would you do all these different things? How do you respond to that? I think we need to be not like Simon and just go, oh, well, good. Thank you. What's the minimum I have to do to be saved? I can have sins taken away and forgiven because Jesus died on the cross. And I have to show up for church, what, once a week, once a month, once a year? What's the minimum I have to do? I don't see the woman asking that. I see her responding with how much can I do in order to show Jesus that I love Him and I appreciate this forgiveness. What an incredible thing it is. One of the most familiar passages that we have uh, John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Whoever believes in Him. Whoever, like this woman, believed that she was going to be forgiven. That she would get this repentance and get this forgiveness. That it's something that she's able to have. God so loved the world that He sent And He is there. And He's doing all these things. Can He get a response of people who would believe? What is it? Do you have to go to a football game and hold up John 3.16? Is that what you would have to do? Or would it be something like what we're doing today? That this is a response to God because He sent His Son. And this is what we want. This is how we want to be is because of God and because of all the great things that He's done. That we would love God back because forgiveness brings love. And love brings forgiveness. If He forgives to bring about a loving relationship, why do we forgive? And I guess I know too many people where it seems like, well, because they paid the price. They don't owe me anything anymore. They had enough punishment. And that is not what it seems like the woman is doing. And it isn't what Jesus does. And it isn't following God. God forgave us so that we would love Him. So that we would respond to Him. Look how the forgiveness of us It's when we forgive others. And there are so many passages in the New Testament where this is tied together. Let me just give you a sample of some of these. And just so that you'll understand. Colossians 3.13 Bearing with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So also you must forgive. 
completely tied together. Because you have been forgiven, then forgiveness happens. And there's a whole lot of the putting up with in there as well. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must. Mark 11 is where the fig tree is withered. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe you have received it and it will be yours. What incredible promises. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your father who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses tied together, right? Sounds almost conditional, doesn't it? Seems to be. It's the cursing of the fig tree. It's moving of mountains. He's saying don't doubt, but forgive so that your Father can forgive you. Matthew eighteen thirty five. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. What? Seems like a threat. Just a little bit. If you do not, because you have been forgiven. And then Luke 6, 37, Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. That's how our forgiveness takes place, is because we learn that the two are tied together. And our forgiveness is because we have been forgiven. And it's how it all works together. Luke eleven four. You would think there's a lot of passages, right? And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Colossians 3.13 Bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Wow. It's not just one time in here. It's over and over and over and over that if you're forgiven, you will forgive. Well, why should we do that? All we were looking for is our sins to be forgiven, right? That's all we wanted. Yeah, that may be the issue. That that's all we wanted. When a God of love understands how to make relationships and how those relationships can be their absolute very best. How do we make, we seem dysfunctional in relationships, don't we? As you look at the world around us, because I think that's what we do. I'll forgive you if you apologize. If you don't apologize, then I don't have to forgive you. Really? Where do you say that? It seems like if you want forgiveness, you will be forgiving. And that built, why are we doing that? Because that's how the woman built the relationship with Jesus. It is forgiveness response, forgiveness response. And when you see all of this happening, when you see how this works together, that's a way when those relationships are built the best. Think about the people that you're closest with. Are you close because they never did anything wrong? Are you close because you never did anything wrong? The reason we're close and we would call it close is because we know their mistakes. We know their sins. And they know ours. 
And they know all of our faults. They know what we did wrong. They know what they did wrong. And it's not that we're equal. It's just that we understand each other. And and that we know that we have this weakness. And we know that we don't always follow through. And we don't always do the things we're supposed to do. And yet, they seem to still accept us. And they don't, you know, reject us and go, ooh, who would talk to you? And they're not afraid. And it's those kind of relationships that are built the best. Those are the ones that are strongest. Those are the ones when you know the most about them. That we would say are the best relationships ever. And God says, I'm trying to build that relationship with you. And I want you to have those kind of relationships with each other. And the way you do it is not by keeping score. The way you do it is not by acting like Simon. The way you do it is when, okay, you know who I am. You can see all the things I do wrong. And we can have a much better relationship if you can forgive. Because I can forgive you. And I can look past all the things that, well, I sure wouldn't do it like that. I don't want to have that. I don't like that. I don't want this. We come up with all kinds of things that we could hold against each other. But that is the point, isn't it? God doesn't do that. God overlooks our sins. God goes beyond those things. And He says that's the way you build relationships. When it goes from you being forgiven to forgiving other people. That's what makes all the difference. One last one in Ephesians 4. Same type thing. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. This is the way it all works. This is what makes church strong. It is not when everybody's perfect and does everything great. It's when we don't. And when we know we don't, and when we overlook the fact that people aren't always as great as what they should be, certainly not as great as what Jesus is. But you know what? We allow grace for them, and we get along with them, and we realize that they're the ones trying, not like Simon who isn't even trying, say, well, I paid for dinner. What else do you want? How welcome do you feel then? Okay, you paid for dinner. Sorry, I won't come anymore. It's the person who burns the potatoes and says, Oh, sorry, I burnt those. No problem. (laughs) You tried fixing them. You tried making a difference. And it's those things that make the difference. So he says, Put away all things that are bad. Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, malice. Be kind. Be tender-hearted. I think she was. Be forgiving. And the reason, the motivation is because God has forgiven you. So how do we put all those bad things away? I mean, people make lots of mistakes. They're kind of dumb, aren't they? How do we overlook all those things that they've done? Because after all, they're annoying. There's one way to do that. 
because Jesus overlooks yours. And if you ever could see yourself clearly, you would realize it's the same thing. So what if I'm still angry or guilty? Then maybe I don't realize that God's forgiven me. Which part do you want to be in the story? Well, God, I'll let you forgive me a little because I really didn't do all that much that bad. Would our advice be to children, go out and sin a lot. Is that the point of the story? Commit every sin you can possibly think of so that then you'll be able to come back to Jesus and appreciate him. It has nothing to do with how much sin you forget, you do. It's about are you forgiven much? And it's the person who realizes I have been forgiven much. Simon just says, no, I don't need it. I'm good. And as long as we are the ones good, as we are the ones making the difference, then we don't really quite understand the whole thing. His forgiveness produces love in you. His love produces forgiveness in you. And we respond. Both of those are the same thing. If you don't have those, then I guess we need to go back to the repentance part and talk about repentance to forgiveness. This is a progression. It does not start easily. Because at first, all we want is for us to be forgiven. But by the time you've been in church for a number of years and put up with all the crazy people around you who are all sinners, they came here and we know that's the only requirement to get in is that you've been a sinner before. whole room's full of sinners. And isn't it wonderful that we are able to live in the grace of God and to experience this kind of forgiveness? Maybe we need to pray for your forgiveness with you if you don't feel this. So that this mighty mountain moving tree withering power of God can forgive all that sin that you're hanging on to. Let it go. We repent of our sins. We're baptized into Christ. We make a covenant with Him. And then we are the ones who go and forgive and forgive and forgive. Because God is doing that through us. As Jesus came and this woman comes to Him and says, but I love God. Other people are going to say, but I love God. And you're going to be the one that helps them do that. What a tremendous thing it is for us to be able to respond in this and to understand and to know the forgiveness that God has. So what do we do about that? Well, don't wash the feet of the person next to you. Glad none of you are crying yet. How about if we just sing? And then if you need to pray, come, let's do that. Let's stand.